0: Dear loving Father in heaven, Thank you, dear Lord, for giving us the privilege of life. We give glory to your name for your love, your kindness, your mercy, which you have bestowed so graciously upon us. Thank you for the work of your holy angels on our behalf, for the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ and also of the Holy Spirit, building us up into the image of our Lord. We pray, Lord, that as we fellowship now with you, that more grace shall be given to us that our characters may be fashioned into the likeness of God. Grant us of your spirit and put your words in my mouth that as I speak, your words may be deeply impressed in our hearts, teaching us and educating us, edifying us and helping us to become more like you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing and answering our prayers. In Jesus' name I've prayed. Amen. Conflict and Courage, November 1, Peter Speaks Up. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Matthew chapter 16 verse 15 and 16. From the first Peter had believed Jesus to be the Messiah. Many others who had been convicted by the preaching of John the Baptist and had preached Christ began to doubt as to John's mission when he was imprisoned and put to death. And they now doubted that Jesus was the Messiah for whom they had looked so long. But Peter and his companions turned not from their allegiance. The vacillating course of those who praised yesterday and condemned today did not destroy the faith of the true follower of the Savior. Peter had expressed the faith of the twelve, yet the disciples were still far from understanding Christ's mission. The opposition and misrepresentation of the priests and rulers while it could not turn them away from Christ, still caused them great perplexity. From time to time, precious rays of light from Jesus shone upon them. Yet, often, they were like men groping among shadows. But on this day, before they were brought face to face with the great trial of their faith, the Holy Spirit rested upon them in power. For a little time, their eyes were turned away from the things which are seen to behold the things which are not seen. Second Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 Beneath the guise of humanity, they discerned the glory of the Son of God. The truth which Peter had confessed is the foundation of the believer's faith. It is that which Christ himself has declared to be eternal life. But the possession of this knowledge was no ground for self-glorification. True, no wisdom or goodness of his own had it been revealed to Peter. Never can humanity of itself attain to a knowledge of the divine. It is as high as heaven, what canst thou do? Deeper than hell, what canst thou know? Job 11 verse 8 Only the spirit of adoption can reveal to us the deep things of God, which I have not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man. God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine and ten. Amen. The title of our devotion for today is. Peter speaks up. It is a very interesting one and yet a very solemn one. What we are going to be looking at will apply to us very much in our lives. More so in these last days in which we live. One very key part of this devotion I just read talks about how the opposition and misrepresentation of priests and rulers, while it did not turn the disciples away from Christ, it caused them great perplexity. Brothers and sisters, we live in a time where we are like those twelve disciples. But in order for us to understand the significance of this event, of course we know what it is that Peter spoke to jesus and said you are the son of god before we get to that in order for us to understand it we need to understand the trials that the disciples had been through prior to this time the 12 disciples of jesus were remarkable men indeed matthew had a lucrative career as a publican much money was being made peter andrew james and john were in the midst of a big business when they had just made the greatest catch of fishes ever in their lives which was so much that their boat began to sink and in the midst of this they were told to drop their nets and follow Jesus. They did not hesitate. They dropped their nets and made a sacrifice which they knew not where it would end. They nevertheless believed that it would end in prosperity. Judas was a learned lawyer and had a lucrative career before him. Much is not said of the other six disciples' career, but they had families and also something they were doing before Jesus called them. They counted the cost and left absolutely everything and followed Jesus. This was a great sacrifice on their part. On what did they hang their hopes? The first disciples among the twelve Peter, James, John, Andrew, Philip, and Nathaniel, or Bartholomew, all followed Jesus. When there was not even one miracle done by him it was based on the testimony of john the baptist the man who himself worked no miracle at all these men needed no sign from jesus and they left all and followed him they left their business their children their spouse their wives that's what it means for those who had spouses parents and houses and lands to wander on foot and boats with jesus there was no means of income how many would consent to this kind of life. Certainly not the rich young ruler. But Satan was determined to make them feel like they had made a mistake in following Jesus. This is the same way he tries through various ways today to make us feel like we are making mistakes when we sacrifice all for Jesus. And then when we start to see the way people treat Jesus, we begin to be perplexed in our minds like the disciples. And we are wondering, have we really made the right sacrifice? Is this really going to end well? Is he the son of God? Satan was doing this to the disciples. When did this begin? when did satan start to do this right from the moment that the disciples were selected after jesus had prayed all night he selected these 12 apostles to be his major workers with a special commission let's see it we're going to see now various ways that satan tried the disciples to make them not to believe in jesus and these are the ways he tries us today to make us think that we have made terrible sacrifices when we have these perplexities What do we hinge our faith on? How can we still confess that Jesus is the Son of God when we see so much tribulation, obstacles to test our faith to make us feel like we have made wrong decisions? Let us go through the life of disciples and then follow through and understand why did Peter speak up? What was it that he hinged his faith on that made him say Jesus was the Messiah? So let's go together. From the day they were selected, let's see what happened. Mark 3, verse 13 and 14 says, Then Jesus went up a hill and called to himself the men he wanted. They came to him, and he chose twelve whom he named apostles. I have chosen you to be with me, he told them. I will also send you out to preach. But then after choosing them, the Bible says in verse 20 and 21, Then Jesus went home. Again, such a large crowd gathered that Jesus and his disciples had no time to eat. When his family, take note of the first test now, when Jesus' family heard about it, they set out to take charge of him because people were saying he has gone mad. Now, how would the disciples, these apostles, this was just that same period when they were chosen. How would they have felt to hear this coming from Jesus' own family members and friends? They were called something to the effect of mad followers of a madman." How many there are who cannot bear being mocked? But the twelve bore this patiently and they were not ashamed of Jesus. They continued to follow him without shame. That was the first test. At another time, they were attacked by the Pharisees, the disciples themselves. A people who they so desperately felt they needed their approval. That's the disciples felt they needed their approval and approbation of these Pharisees. But these Pharisees attacked the disciples directly. Jesus was not having any of it. He defended them. In the book of Matthew 12, reading from verse 1, it says, At that time Jesus went on the Sabbath day through the corn, and his disciples were unhungered and began to pluck the ears of corn to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said unto him, Behold, thy disciples do that which is not lawful to do upon the Sabbath day. Matthew 12, verse 6-8 tells us how Jesus defended them and told them they had not done anything wrong. Then again, after this, in the same Matthew 12, the Pharisees came again to show their contempt, not for the disciples this time, but for Jesus to discredit the mission of Jesus. This time, it would lead these Pharisees to go further, to now start planning ways to destroy Jesus. Matthew 12, 9-10 says, And when he was departed thence, he went into their synagogue. And behold, there was a man which had his hand withered. And they asked him, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath days? they might accuse him jesus responded to them showing them that acts of mercy were not a violation of the sabbath and he still healed the man but what was the result of jesus healing the man matthew 12 verse 14 then the pharisees went out and held a council against him how they might destroy him but it was not only the pharisees who were involved in this the followers of herod were also involved on the same account mark wrote in mark 3 verse 6 and the pharisees went forth and straightway took counsel with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. Mark 12, verse 13, we are told, And they send unto him certain of the Pharisees and the Her- of the Herodians to catch him in his words. One can only imagine what it would have been like for the disciples to constantly be on the receiving end of the attacks of the leaders of the nation. Now they had to walk cautiously. Verse 15 and 16 says, when Jesus, that's Matthew 12, verse 15 and 16 says, but when Jesus knew it, that he knew that they were planning to destroy him, he withdrew himself from thence, and great multitudes followed him, and healed them all, and charged them that they should not make him known. But the perplexity was not yet over. And by the way, Jesus, it was not only Jesus who knew it, the disciples knew it. When Jesus wanted to go and heal Lazarus, it was the disciples themselves that told him, Why are you going to Jerusalem? You know they want to kill you. So the disciples were well aware of what the Pharisees were planning. It says, uh, the, the Bible tells us that they themselves did not want Jesus to go to Jerusalem because they knew he had told them that he would die there and they were saying don't go so that they won't kill you. So they were well aware of all the plans of the Pharisees, but the perplexity was not yet over. A certain time, the Pharisees who were so envious that they had lost all sense of morality and sincerity, witnessed something that was so remarkable. But instead of this being a reason for them to stop attacking Jesus and his disciples, they decided to misrepresent the works of Jesus in a way that sealed their own doom. In the same Matthew 12, reading from verse 22 now, it says, Then was brought unto Jesus, one possessed with the devil, blind and dumb, and he healed him, insomuch that the blind and dumb both spake and saw, and all the People were amazed and said, Is not this the son of David that is the Messiah? The people were thinking he's the Messiah. But look at what the Pharisees did. But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. My these words of the pharisees it was affecting the people the people were losing confidence in jesus but not the twelve but the twelve even though they had not lost confidence they were perplexed they were wondering if he is the messiah why are the pharisees not accepting him matthew reading 12 now verse 30 to 32 jesus said to the Pharisees, he that is not with me is against me and he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad wherefore i say unto you all manner of sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven unto men but the blasphemy against the holy ghost shall not be forgiven unto men and whosoever speaketh the word against the son of man it shall be forgiven him but whosoever speaketh against the holy ghost it shall not be forgiven him neither in this world neither in the world to come that was jesus response to them you can't just put yourself in the shoes of the disciples witnessing this constant barrage on Jesus who they believed in. The Pharisees brought a very low accusation against Jesus. They went into slander and they stood so low as to accuse Jesus of being possessed by demons. The clear miracles which they saw Jesus do, they had become so blinded by envy and jealousy as to accuse him of using satanic powers to do them. Still in Matthew 12, now, verse 38, this, the attack still continues. Then certain of the scribes and Pharisees said, answered saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But Jesus answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it, but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he responded, He's not going to give them any sign. But if the hatred of the Pharisees was bad, something considerably worse than that happened. Matthew 12, still, reading from verse 46, he says, While he yet talked to the people, Behold, in this this same period, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said unto him, Behold, thy mother and thy brethren stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand towards his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. Amen. Do you understand what was going on here? Realize that everything I've been reading so far is just in one chapter of the Bible, Matthew 12. Attack after attack on Jesus. And to crown it all, his own family members came. They came there to speak with Jesus, to tell him to stop what he was doing. This was a manifest unbelief on Jesus. Do you know what it is for the family of Jesus to not believe in him? If his family does not believe in him, then what do you think will happen to the mind of the disciples? Reading from Desire of Ages, page 325, paragraph 3, to understand what this meant, this his mother and brothers coming to talk to him it says it says what a support christ would have found in his earthly relatives if they had believed in him as one from heaven and had cooperated with him in doing the work of god their unbelief cast a shadow over the earthly life of jesus it was a part of the bitterness of that cup of woe which he drained for us The enmity kindled in the human heart against the Gospel was keenly felt by the Son of God and it was most painful to him in his home. For his own heart was full of kindness and love, and he appreciated tender regard in the family relation. His brothers desired that he should concede to their ideas, when such a course would have been utterly out of harmony with his divine mission. They looked upon him as in need of their counsel. They judged him from their human point of view and thought that if he would speak only such things as would be acceptable to the scribes and Pharisees. He would avoid the disagreeable controversy that his words aroused. They thought that he was beside himself, that is mad, in claiming divine authority and in placing himself before the rabbis as a reprover of their sins. They knew that the Pharisees were seeking occasion to accuse him, and they felt that he had given them sufficient occasion. With their short measuring line, they could not fathom the mission which he came to fulfill, and therefore could not sympathize with him in his trials. Their coarse, unappreciative words showed that they had no true perception of his character and did not discern that the divine blended with the human. They often saw him full of grief, but instead of comforting him, their spirit and words only wounded him. His sensitive nature was tortured. His motives were misunderstood. His works was uncomprehended. His brothers often brought forward the philosophy of the Pharisees, which was tread bare and hoary with age, and presumed to think that they could teach him who understood all truth and comprehended all mysteries. They freely condemned that which they could not understand. Their reproaches probed him to the quick, and his soul was wearied and distressed. They avowed faith in God, and thought they were vindicating God, when God was with them in the flesh, and they knew him not. These things made his path as Jesus's path a thorny one to travel, so pained was Christ by the misapprehension of his own home, that it was a relief to him to go where it did not exist." End of quote. Now, my focus is on the disciples. Jesus was pained by this, then how about the disciples? How about other people who were watching seeing his family members coming to manifest a steady unbelief in Jesus? It affected them. Many people could not confess Jesus as the Messiah because of the Pharisees, the scribes and Jesus' own family members. And how do you think this affected the disciples? They would have, Satan would be troubling them with thoughts, are you sure this is the Messiah? then the eyes of the pharisees once again turned on the disciples in matthew 15 i may not read this one for the sake of time but in matthew 15 they came to accuse the disciples once again of washing of eating without washed hands jesus defer- defended them then to further spread their unbelief or the unbelief in the hearts of the disciples they came again to request a sign from jesus matthew 16 verse 1 the pharisees also with the sadducees came and tempting desired jesus that he would show them a sign from heaven and jesus responded saying when it is evening you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red and in the morning it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and lowering this is Matthew 16, I'm reading. Then Jesus said, O ye hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky, but when you but you cannot discern the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. Another time in the book of John 9, verse 22, it tells us that those who even confessed to believe in Jesus were disfellowshipped. It's, it reads, these words speak his parents as the parents of the man who Jesus healed that was blind. They did not want to confess Jesus, they didn't want to say that he's the Messiah. Why? He says because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Amen. Now, with all this development, do you think it would have been an easy thing for these disciples to keep following Jesus or to confess that he was the Messiah? Nicodemus called him a teacher. Simon called him a teacher. The Pharisees looked at him as an imposter. His his own brothers looked at him as somebody who was crazy. He was just mad to be claiming he had divine authority. And the disciples are looking at all these things happening. Why didn't they say he was a teacher? To say he was a teacher was just to be afraid of the Jews and the Pharisees. And even the parents of a man whom Jesus had just healed him of his blindness. We are afraid to confess Jesus Christ as the Messiah his Pharisees had said anyone who confesses him you are going to are going to disfellowship you and the disciples all this while still followed jesus but i tell you with great perplexity wondering are we doing the right thing now in desire of ages page 526 paragraph 3 says during the two days christ seemed to have dismissed the message from his mind for he did not speak of lazarus The disciples thought of John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus. They had wondered why Jesus, with the power to perform wonderful miracles, had permitted John to languish in prison and to die a violent death. Possessing such power, why did not Christ save John's life? This question had often been asked by the Pharisees, who presented it as an unanswerable argument against Christ's claim to be the Son of God. The Savior had warned his disciples of trials, losses, and persecution. Would he forsake them in trial? Some questioned if they had mistaken his mission. All were deeply troubled. Do you see what the disciples were passing through? And the same thing you may be passing through today. Perhaps like the disciples of Jesus, you have left all and followed Jesus. And there are people who are coming to point to you the obstacles that test your faith. Look at you. Look at how lean you are. you claim to be following Jesus look at now you've lost all where's your money you can't even take care of yourself or even if you can is this what life is about they come with all kinds of challenges to you like the disciples and you start to get perplexed and you are wondering what if there's no heaven what if there's no eternal life what if Jesus is not the Messiah are you perplexed the disciples were also perplexed like you are and It is good for us to learn how it is that they still followed Jesus so let us read the accounts of how this happened and what they trusted in how Peter still trusted in Jesus Satan was bringing thoughts to the minds of the disciples to stop them from believing in Jesus they would say this man is a fake he's not the Messiah the Pharisees and Herodians are against him he is from a poor background Wake up, you dull ads. Can't you see he could not save John the Baptist? Come on. Even his own mother and brothers are not following him the way you are doing. They don't believe in him. Do you know him more than they do? His own relatives think he is mad. But we read in Conflict and Courage, page 311, paragraph 2, that from the first, Peter had believed in Jesus. But then, this matter of John the Baptist's not, not being saved was a constant trouble to them. In light of all of this, one can understand the perplexity the disciples were facing as they chose to keep following Jesus. Now, in the book of Matthew 16, reading from verse 13, it says, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee but my Father, which is in heaven. Amen. Conflict and Courage, page 311, paragraph 2, tells us, But Peter and his companions turned not from their allegiance. The vacillating cause of those who praised yesterday and condemned today did not destroy the faith of the true follower of the Savior. End of quote. But Jesus said Peter didn't say this thing because he understood what he was saying. It was the Holy Spirit that revealed it to him in light of all the obstacles that were surrounding them. Jesus knew that it is only when we submit ourselves to the impression of the Holy Spirit that we can confess him. What is Jesus to you? Just like it was in the days of Peter and the disciples, today it is not in fashion to be an ardent follower of Jesus and confess him to be the Messiah. What was it that made the disciples to keep following Jesus despite the fact that there were so many obstacles to test their faith? Let the disciples themselves speak up. One may say, it was easy for Peter and the disciples to keep following Jesus as they constantly saw him perform miracle after miracle, sign after sign, and wonder after wonder. He stilled the storm. He walked on water. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He raised the dead and healed the blind. But was this what made Peter believe so much in Jesus? Not at all. There was something stronger than this. Let Peter speak for himself and we will hear him say what it was that made him so sure that Jesus is the Messiah. Let's hear him. Reading from Second Peter chapter 1, verse 16 to 21. You know that Peter, after this day in Matthew 16, the next day Jesus took Peter, James and John and they saw Jesus stand with Elijah and Moses shining brightly. Was it all of this that made Peter believe? Let him speak. Second Peter chapter 1, reading from verse 16. Peter says, For we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And this is referring to the baptism of Jesus. Then again, Peter points to another thing. He says, And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. He's referring to the transfiguration here. Then in verse 19 he says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy. Whereunto, ye do well that you take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart, knowing this first that no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. For the prophecy came not in old time by the will of men, but holy men of God speak as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. Amen so what is peter saying that makes him sure that jesus is the messiah it is the fulfillment of prophecy he says we have something that is more sure sure than what more sure than the voice we heard saying this is my beloved son more sure than what he saw when he saw jesus moses and elijah trans and he saw jesus transfigured peter says these are not the things that make me sure that jesus is the messiah what makes me sure is prophecy Prophecy is the greatest miracle, like the man Dr. A. Keith says in the book um, written by J. N. Loughborough, Great Second Advent Movement, page 27, paragraph 6, Dr. A. Keith says that prophecy is equivalent to any miracle and is of itself miraculous. The voice of omnipotence alone could call the dead from the tomb. The voice of, of omniscience alone could tell all that lay hid in dark futurity, which to man is as impenetrable as the mansions of the dead, and both are alike the voice of God. end of quote. Let me break that down. It is the voice of God, the voice of omnipotence that can do all things, that can penetrate the darkness of the grave and bring the dead out of it so that they can live. But then, it is that same voice of omniscience that can penetrate the darkness of the future that man cannot penetrate and tell you the things that will happen ahead of time and bring it to pass. Both are miracles, just like the resurrection of the dead, prophecy is also a miracle peter said he has a more sure word of prophecy and that's why he believes in jesus peter then said concerning jesus in the book of first peter 1 verse 8 you love him although you have not seen him and you believe in him although you do not now see him so you rejoice with a great and glorious joy which words cannot express because you are receiving the salvation of your souls which is the purpose of your faith in him. It was concerning this salvation that the prophets made careful search and investigation and they prophesied about this gift which God will give you. They tried to find out when the time would be and how it would come. This was the the time to which Christ's spirit in them was pointing, in predicting the sufferings that Christ would have to endure and the glory that would follow. God revealed to these prophets that their work was not for their own benefit but for yours, as they spoke about those things which you have now heard from the messengers who announced the good news by the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. These are the things which even angels would like to understand. Amen. What are the things? Prophecy. Why did Peter believe in Jesus? This Holy Spirit spoke to him that day. But he's speaking more to us and telling us there is a more sure word of prophecy. Remember the prophecy we read in Daniel 9 verse 25 downward that tells us that the Messiah would come. That is far more sure than any miracle Jesus did. When you follow all the prophecies and realize that the time for Jesus coming was already announced by Daniel, 490 years from 457 B.C. was given to the Jews. And the day that Jesus would be anointed was predicted. It was 483 years from 457 B.C. And on A.D. 27, Jesus was baptized. In the autumn of A.D. 27, he was baptized. And then he was anointed when a voice came from heaven. The fulfillment of prophecy is what Peter said that made him believe that Jesus is the Messiah many miracles took place but then how do i know is the Messiah because prophecy already said this is what will happen on AD 27 autumn A man will come. He will be anointed by God. And exactly that happened. Peter took note of that and said, This is what makes me believe that he is the Messiah. And then, three and a half years later, we are told that he will be destroyed. He will be killed. Three and a half years later, after the ministry of Jesus, three and a half years later, he was nailed to the cross. Peter said, These are the things that made him believe When Jesus resurrected, in the book of Luke 24, he was speaking to some disciples on the road to Emmaus. And how did he make them believe that he was the Messiah? The Bible says in Luke 24, reading from verse 27, it says, And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So what did Jesus use to make them believe in him? Prophecy. The things in the scriptures, he used it to make them believe in him. Now. Who do you say Jesus is? What is he to you? What has been your own experience? Let us hear more from Peter as he speaks up. He is not just the Messiah, the Savior from our sins, but more than that, He is also our example. But let's see what Peter says concerning the Savior from our sins. First Peter 1, reading from verse 18, he says, "'For as much as you know that you were not redeemed "'with corruptible things as silver and gold "'from your vain conversation received "'by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God, that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope might be in God. Amen. So, who is Christ to you? He is supposed to be your Messiah, the Deliverer from our sins. We were redeemed by His blood. He is our Deliverer. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. And this is what Jesus came to earth for. To take our place, to save us from our sins that we may not perish. To give us power and victory over every besetment, every bad habit and every sin. Will you stop believing on him because the scientific men of today are saying that he is a myth? Will you not believe because your parents are saying it is not good to follow him and that you are a fanatic? Or because his ways are making you look crazy to your friends? Will you not follow him because you have your nets full of fish and it will require you to leave your wife, your business, husband, children and all things you hold so dear to yourself? Are you staying away from him because the the the, the men who are the leaders of the faith today, the Pharisees and the Sadducees are mocking him and are turning their backs on him. The promise of the Lord is found in His word. Once again, Peter speaks to encourage us as to why we should follow the Lord. Mark chapter 10 verse 28 to 30. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lo, we have left all and have followed thee. And Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels, but he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the worlds to come eternal life amen but like i said peter did not only see jesus as his messiah as a substitute for his sins he also saw him as a person who was his master through the behavior of jesus and he saw how Jesus dealt with the various situations that came his way. Peter saw Jesus as his example, the example of how we are to live. So Peter speaks again. 1 Peter 2 reading from verse 19 down to 24, he says, For this is thank-worthy. If a man for conscience towards God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it? If when you be profited for your faults, you shall take it patiently. But if when you do well and suffer for it, you take it patiently, This is acceptable with God, for even here unto were ye called. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously who his own self bear our own sins in his own body on a tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you were healed. Amen. So what is he saying here? We are to have Christ as an example. We are to follow his character. While we believe in him as the one that takes away our sins and follow on to know him, we are to still see him as the example of the life that we are to live. And do not let anyone discourage you to view Jesus as your Messiah and to speak up saying that he is your Messiah. Don't let anyone discourage you. Remember with the promise we read that Jesus said that all who leave everything for him, they will be blessed and hundredfold with those things they left, he will give it to them a hundredfold. And Jesus is your example. Happier you if you follow him. Reading further to show us the example of the character of Christ we are to have from this day with God, page 263. We are forming characters for heaven. No character can, can be complete without trial and suffering. We must be tested, we must be tried. Christ bore the test of character of our behalf, that we might bear this test in our own behalf through the divine strength he has brought to us. Christ is our example in patience, in forbearance, in meekness and lowliness of mind. He was at variance and at war with the whole ungodly world, yet He did not give way to passion and violence manifested in words and actions. Although receiving shameful abuse in return for good works, he was afflicted, he was rejected and despitefully treated, yet he retaliated not. He possessed self-control, dignity, and majesty. He suffered with calmness, and for abuse gave only compassion, pity, and love." Imitate your Redeemer in these things. Do not get excited when things go wrong. Do not let self arise and lose your self-control because you fancy things are not as they should be. Because others are wrong is no excuse for you to do wrong. Two wrongs will not make one right. You have victories to gain in order to overcome as Christ overcame. Christ never murmured, never uttered discontent, displeasure, or resentment. He was never disheartened, discouraged, ruffled, or fretted. He was patient, calm, and self possessed under the most exciting and trying circumstances. All his works were performed with a quiet dignity and ease. Whatever commotion was around him, Applause did not elate him. He feared not the threats of his enemies. He moved amid the world of excitement, of violence and crime, as the sun moves above the clouds. Human passions and commotions and trials were beneath him. He sailed like the sun above them all. Yet he was not indifferent to the woes of men his heart was ever touched with the sufferings and necessities of his brethren, as though he himself was the one afflicted. He had a calm inward joy, a peace which was serene. His will was ever swallowed up in the will of his Father. Not my will, but thine be done, was heard from his pale and quivering lips. End of quote. This is our example. To act the same way like I have just read, just like Christ behaves, What is Christ to you? Who do you say that he is? Peter said he is his substitute. Peter said that Christ is both his substitute and example. And this is what we should see Jesus as, as our substitute for our sins and the example of a life we are to imitate and copy till we reflect his image fully. Do not let the taunts of your friends and family members stop you from confessing Christ in your behavior. Do not let the tons of the scientific world and the pastors of today to stop you from imitating christ let nothing stop you all the obstacles around the disciples did not stop them and they confessed christ and said thou art the son of god you are the messiah let us confess him today and you will receive blessings a hundredfold amen let us pray thank you dear lord for this example given to us in the life of the apostles confessing you we pray that we shall also do exactly that and even more that regardless of all the obstacles to hinder and to um, test our faith that we will confess Christ as both our substitute and our example that no obstacle shall stop us from following after the Lord constantly help us dear Lord forgive us for the times we have cherished doubts in our mind and been perplexed and wondering if christ is there why this or why that forgive us and help us to follow you in strong faith believing in you no matter what is happening around us and may we receive the blessings you have reserved for us is my prayer in jesus name
1: amen oh lord you are my god The strings to